John 7, verse 1, Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And now go with me to verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now as we come to the words of your Son, as he speaks to us of himself and how we should respond to him, would you give us the humility to hear? Would you give us the clarity to understand and the ability to respond with faith and obedience? We come not only to the words of your Son, but we come knowing that we are in the presence of your Son. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work opening our eyes and our ears and our hearts so that we could receive these words and so they could become life for us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I was a music major in college. And one semester, I had the opportunity to play in the orchestra for the opera. And as is typical for that performance, there are multiple performances. There are seven or eight performances, including a Sunday afternoon matinee. And on the day of that performance, being a good little church boy, I went to worship. And then I arrived in plenty of time at the music building to get ready for the performance. But as I walked into the building, I noticed a poster advertising the opera. And I noticed on that poster the performance times. And to my horror, realized that the Sunday matinee performance was not at 2.30, which I had come in plenty of time to prepare for, but at 2 o'clock. And so I sprinted up to Ruby Diamond Performance Hall and stumbled in 15 minutes late, well into the first half of the opera, and very embarrassed. Not my finest moment as a musician. 
Paying attention to time matters. How many times a day do we look at a clock or at a calendar that tells us where to go or what to do next? It's not just our days, but our weeks and our months and our years are shaped by time, by the measurement of days, by holidays, by seasons, by anniversaries and birthdays and other important events. Have you noticed that time is important to how John tells his story in this gospel? He often informs us what time of day events happen. And more importantly, he constantly informs us of the times of year that events happen. So chapter 6 happened during the Feast of Passover. Chapter 7 happens during the Feast of Booth. Some scholars argue that this book is, in, is actually structured around and by the Jewish calendar and the major events and the major festivals of that calendar. So, reading the Gospel of John, if we don't pay attention to time, we'll do more than show up late for a performance or an appointment will miss the significance of Jesus and the implication of his message for our lives. So let's pay attention this morning. Time in two parts. Meaning and measurement. First of all, the meaning of time. John 7 opens with an awkward conversation between Jesus and his brothers. Where his brothers say, in essence, Jesus... If you're such a big deal, now is the time for you to go down to Jerusalem and prove it. We learn from verse 5 that they say this sarcastically. Because they don't believe that Jesus is such a big deal. And that skepticism, unfortunately, is an increasing trend in this gospel. It's increasingly prominent in how Jesus and how people respond to Jesus. And not just skepticism, but outright opposition. The leaders of the Jews were plotting, they were conspiring to kill him. A conspiracy that does indeed lead to Jesus' death. But do you notice how Jesus responds to this skepticism and this opposition? He responds with a very calm knowledge and control of how all of this is going to go down. What he says is a little cryptic, uh, but in essence, the, the basic point is, guys, brothers, go when you want. doesn't matter to me. But I have a plan for when I will go to this feast and for what will happen when I get there, including the opposition that leads to my death. Jesus asserts full knowledge and control of time. But that is not a bare assertion of power. It is the claim of a storyteller. Jesus talks about his knowledge and control because he has a story to tell. He has meaning to shape. 
But what is that story that Jesus wants to tell us? Well, to answer that, we need to talk a little bit more about this feast, this festival that's happening here in John chapter 7, the Feast of Booths, sometimes uh, translated and called the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a major, annual, week-long celebration of God's people when they would camp out all week. They would build these temporary structures out in their yards and live in those structures for the week. And also, as a part of this celebration in the city of Jerusalem, the priest would go every day to one of the major water sources for the city, a pool, and he would take an empty pitcher and he would dip it in that water and then lead a procession to the temple where he would pour that water on the altar. And every day of that week, that parade would grow larger and larger so that on the final day of the week, there would be throngs, massive crowds of people, and they would take branches from trees and shake them to imitate the sound of rain as the priests walk with this water to the temple to pour it onto the altar. So with that stage set, notice how Jesus plays this festival. At the beginning, he's not even there, and everyone's asking, where is he, where is he, why isn't he here? By the middle of the feast, verse 14, he shows up and he begins to teach. And he stirs up even more controversy. The tension grows. And then, like a comedian withholding the punchline to the very last moment, Jesus waits until the climactic day with a sound of rain and all of these people and the priest walking to the temple with this water. And he says, let anyone who thirst come to me. For those who believe in me, I will give them living water. See what Jesus is doing? He's saying, this festival, it's about me. This feast, this celebration of God providing life is the celebration of what God is doing through me. You see, the Feast of Booths was about two things. It was about remembering Israel's time in the desert between Egypt and the Promised Land, where they lived in temporary housing, and God miraculously provided over and over again water. And then this feast was also about the harvest. It was a harvest celebration. It came at the end of the harvest time. And it celebrated the reason for the harvest which was rain, which they connected to God providing water in the desert. And Jesus Jesus is saying, all of that, it is about me. That's the story he is telling. That God in his gift of a calendar to his people, that God in telling the story of his people was leading the world to his son. And what his son would accomplish. I have a friend who is a military historian. And while he was getting his PhD, while he was in that program, he would tell me about the animosity that that existed in that department between military historians and other kinds of historians. And it was a contest 
between who got to tell the story and with what emphasis. And so is history driven by war and the development of military technology, or is it developed by other economic and cultural factors? And my friend, if anyone who knows him, his name is Will, would say over and over again, all history is military history. The one who gets to tell the story gets to shape the meaning. And that's what Jesus claims for himself. He claims to tell the story because he is shaping the meaning of time. To say that it is all about him. That all that God has said and done leads to who he is. And what he does. And that is more than just a theory about history. That is a message for your life. Because if this is true, then your story is about him. Your meaning is shaped not by what you accomplish but by who you are in relationship to Christ. Your purpose is to know Him, to celebrate Him, to believe in Him, and to receive this water that He has promised. That's the meaning, not only of all time, but of your time. To know Him and to receive His gifts. But how do we do that? How do we live that meaning? How do we receive this water that Jesus promises to us? How does that become the shaping factor, the main purpose of our lives? Well, we have to learn how to tell time. We have to go beyond knowing the meaning of time to knowing how to measure time. We have to be able to answer the question, what time is it? And to answer that question, we need to talk a little bit more about water. We need to talk about water and how that image is used in the Bible. I've said this before But I am convinced that the Old Testament book of Ezekiel is foundational for the New Testament book of John. And especially the vision in chapter 47 of Ezekiel. The prophet sees a rebuilt temple, the place of God's presence. And out of that temple comes a river. Water. And that water flows not only to Israel, but to all nations. And that water produces a harvest. It produces fruit trees, an abundance of fruit trees. Now, that is a deliberate echo of the Garden of Eden. Remember how the Garden of Eden is described in the book of Genesis? It's with rivers and fruit trees. Ezekiel, along with much of the Old Testament, is saying God is going to do a work that takes you back there, humanity, and even beyond that. And the water is God's presence. That's why it's flowing from the temple. And the fruit 
is more than physical food. It is people of all nations restored to their true humanity as worshipers and servants of God. You need to feel the expectation of that. The longing for that. The thirst for that as you hear Jesus say, I will give you living water. Where is Jesus when he says that? He's at the temple. He's at the temple. What is this water that he promises? Verse 39. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God. When does he say all of this? It's at harvest time. Jesus is saying... To those who believe in Him, He will give them the promised presence and the promised result of that presence. This fruit of being restored to God and the fullness of life in Him. But when does that happen? When is that promise kept? Because John makes it really clear again in verse 39 that it doesn't happen at the Feast of Booths in John 7. It doesn't happen when Jesus says these things. Something else has to happen first. And what is that something else? It's the glorification of Jesus, of the Son of God. Which is John's way of saying, Jesus has to be lifted up to die. He must be raised up from the dead and then return to His Father in heaven so He can then pour out this water. God's Spirit on His people. And that's what happened. That's what happened. That's the story that Jesus has finished. And so in chapter 20, after His resurrection, He breathes on His disciples and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descends powerfully on the early church. And He descends at another feast, the Feast of Pentecost. Feast of Pentecost was the beginning of harvest. Feast of Booths, end of harvest. So see, the key measurement of time is the glorification of Jesus. is the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's before... His glorification, longing, expectation, thirst for the life-giving presence of God. And there's after His glorification. That presence given to all who believe in Him. So the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 can say to us, he can say, Christian, the fullness of time has come. Jesus has died. He has risen. He has ascended. And so, walk in the Spirit. So do the Spirit. Be attentive to the Spirit. Why? Because He's producing fruit. He's producing a harvest in your life. He is producing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you know what time it is? Do you recognize that you live 
after the glorification of Jesus, when, which means that you live in a time in which Jesus has poured out God's own Spirit on those who believe in Him. Do you know what time it is? Which is to ask, do you know what you have in and through what and through what Jesus has done. Do you know what you have? Heard a story recently about a man from Mississippi lived his life in near poverty on a plot of land that he had inherited from his parents. His financial situation became so dire that he had to sell that plot of land. And after he sold it, massive oil reserves were discovered just under the ground of that land. He lived all his life in poverty, not realizing the riches that were right under his feet. How often do we live like that? How often do we live impoverished by shame? By fear. Not realizing the riches that are right beneath the surface of our lives. Not recognizing that Jesus died and rose to give us this resource of immeasurable value and of irrepressible power. God's own Spirit. I think when we hear that list in Galatians 5... We become very cynical. We hear that. We love, joy, peace, self-control. That's ridiculous. (laughs) What? That seems overwhelmingly impossible. We don't need that cynicism, but to some extent we need to be overwhelmed by that. Because we need to long for that. We need to want that. Because that's the thirst. And then we need to remember what time it is. We need to remember that God has given us His own Spirit to empower us for that life. We can show up in our lives confident that we are not alone. That God is at work. The divine farmer is cultivating in the details of your life, this good harvest. Do you know what time it is? Are you attentive and aware of what Jesus has given to you? Now that harvest, the problem is we live in the midst of it. It's not done. And so it is gradual, it is partial, and it is often slower than we would like it to be. And so this message about time speaks more than more to our present. It also speaks to our future. So John wrote another book of the Bible. Not just this gospel, he wrote some letters, then he wrote the final book of our New Testament, the book of Revelation. And at the end of that book, there is a vision of our future with Jesus. And there's a new creation. And there is a new Jerusalem. And in that Jerusalem, 
Not surprisingly, given the story that we're hearing this morning, there is a river. And that river flows with living water. And beside the river will flourish fruit trees. An abundance of life for all of those who are in Christ. It's as if John is saying, Christian, frustrated by the slowness and partialness of the current harvest, know that there is an eternal festival of joy with the one who died and rose for you. But while we wait, we need to hear (coughs) this invitation from Jesus to thirsty people. We need to connect to that longing for this life that is promised to us. And then we need to remember what time it is. And we need to entrust ourselves to the power of what Jesus has given to us. Let's pray.